This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically-minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. If I were to try to summarize the teachings of my teacher, Joko Beck, I might uh, use her admonition to suffer intelligently, sum up what she, she taught all those years. I would say that's, that goes up there with her other life-affirming sayings like uh, relationships don't work <laughs> and uh, there's no hope. Uh, very grandmotherly teacher. <laughs> she wanted to bring a sense of emotional reality into the practice of Zen. Not have it be in the service of some transcendental project, but down to earth where we live, our day-to-day -day emotional lives. As I reflect on that teaching now, I, I find that I would probably add to suffer intelligently my own expression of that in the form of be dependent intelligently. I think these are two sides of the same coin, but they create a different emphasis. Suffer intelligently, I think, focuses on the side of the gap that inevitably arises between our expectations of life and other people and how life actually is moment to moment. And so her idea of practice was confronting that gap. And life always presented a gap between reality and expectation, so each moment, life as it is, was always a teacher. And basically, she would say, when there's a gap between expectation and reality, which one do you think is supposed to give? <laughs> now, we will put a lot of effort into trying to make reality change, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a whole side, you know, of changing reality, you know, that gets summed up in things like... Uh, when you're hungry, eat. When you're thirsty, drink. When you're tired, sleep, and so forth. There's very straightforward ways in which uh, 
you know, you can say Zen practitioners are allowed to come in out of the rain, right? You don't just have to stand there, right? Uh, you can change reality, but there's going to be a point at which um, reality is an immovable object and you're going to have to be stuck with it not meeting some level of expectation. And for Joko, there's sort of an image, I think, all the time of uh, reality being a kind of grindstone that you put your expectations up against. Uh, and self and expectation in that book are pretty synonymous. And so you use just that endless gap, that endless failure of reality to meet expectation as a way to gradually just wear down expectation or uh, this kind of curative fantasy or, or narcissistic demand that life should conform to my expectation. Um, So she focused on that gap, and I think the idea being that when there's truly no separation, when we're really willing to fully be life as it is, including the suffering of life, that's compassion's way. And it's also the path of joy as well as compassion. Because then it's this free, non-separate flow and functioning of ourselves in the midst of life, regardless of its content. However, there's a, there's a side to her metaphors, particularly, you know, with relationships don't work. Relationships, when she talks about them that way, uh, are all about uh, what do you expect from another person and how do you expect them to be an antidote to your needs or loneliness or whatever, right? And so the not work aspect of uh, relationships focuses on that expectation gap. And... Uh, you know, at one point she said, I could live with anybody. Uh, which for her meant I can just be with anybody with no expectations whatsoever and I'll let them be who they are. And uh, however difficult that is, I will just practice with that. Um, I think that's a very useful way to practice with frustration. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, place in that for um, the positive side of relationship. Either it's neglected or it's taken for granted. And so I would um, complement what Joko says with, by uh, this alternate admonition of be dependent intelligently. And by that I mean to put the <coughs> focus of our attention back on our, our, our needs and our feelings without um, 
focusing on the gap or the frustration that they will inevitably uh, bump up against. See, when Choco says I could live with anybody, it's all on the side of frustration. You know, I'll just be able to deal with whatever it is. Um, it's not much on the side of what relationships are actually for and why anybody would want one. Right? Rather than, you know, it's like uh, being stuck on the subway at rush hour. You know, you just have to deal with being crowded in there with all these other people, right? But it doesn't sound like anything anybody would ever choose. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you ever let another person into the apartment, you know, if you could just have it all clean and quiet and just the way you like it for yourself, right? <laughs> Sometimes there's some other damn person in there, so you just got to deal with them, right? I mean, <laughs> it's not the most romantic vision of relationship, is it? So I would prefer to uh, find a way to include the side that says we are dependent mammals that we need love and nurturance and connection and groups. We're social dependent animals. And we all have to find a way to acknowledge and meet those needs. In the course of that, there's going to be inevitable frustration, but the, the, the challenge is not to blame the need, not to say, I want to use practice as a way to get over ever needing anything or anybody. Um, I want to become more independent, more autonomous, more self-soothing, more self-directed, self-regulating, self-teaching. Okay? All these ways in which we would like to dissolve our dependence on imperfect and changing other people. See, that's sort of the problem with people, is, you know, you can't control them, and they change. Right? But we're, we really are deeply stuck with them. <laughs> right? So that's where the suffer intelligently comes in. We're really stuck with each other. Now we have to deal with the fact of our the imperfections in the other and the fact that the other changes. This is the fundamental Buddhist picture of suffering, is that everything is going to be changing and nothing can be fixed into just the state we want and have it stay there whether it's our mind or our relationship or anything else about this life. And there's a, historically a big danger in Zen practice, and I think a lot of religious practice, that we try to transcend through practice our connection or dependence on other people. Uh, some religions, we say, you just can't trust people, but we could always have God. Right? God will be never changing and all loving. So, uh, if I can't get what I need on this, in, 
in this world, I can always count on it in the, in the next, or in God's love in this world. Buddhism tends to throw you back into this world, really. But we always have a very strong temptation to try to become more self-sufficient. I think a big part of the importance of practicing with a sangha and practicing with a teacher is that it both evokes our dependency and our frustration. I don't think any of us really are very capable of practicing alone. We can do it up to a point for a while. But if we're going to practice intensively, just in terms of the structure of sitting, most of us, if we're ever going to do a session, are going to need to do it in the context of a whole supportive group, in a, sort, a supportive tradition. We're not going to be able to invent or sustain this on our own. And so we have to acknowledge that we, we need others to be able to practice. We even may need a teacher in order to practice. And we may start out with a very high idealization of who a teacher is and what a teacher is. And part of the experience of being with a teacher is getting to both to acknowledge one's need and one's dependence on another person, but also to see how we deal with the particular humanity of that other person when the teacher doesn't stay in an abstract, idealized fantasy, but is a, another human being with strengths and weaknesses, who we are nonetheless in a position of having to rely on. You know, in Joko used to say, people, it takes people quite a few years to learn what practice really is, and then most of them quit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What she meant is that, uh, you know, for the first few years, people spend a lot of time trying to actualize their fantasy of practice, you know, of both what they're going to accomplish and who the teacher is. And at some point, they really get the idea that uh, practice and the teacher is not going to fulfill their fantasy. And that's the big turning point. And the majority of people will leave and go pursue a different fantasy or a different teacher. They'll say, well, this place, this isn't the real Zen. Or that teacher really isn't enlightened. And then they'll go find another one and do it all over again for another 10 years. And then, you know, have to go through it one more time. But to really stick to practice is to stick to the particulars and limitations of a You know, one one situation. 
Now, that's not to say you just have to stay with something no matter how bad it is or how bad it gets. I mean, there are like marriages or other relationships, you know, sometimes they don't work and it's appropriate to leave and to try to find something better. And that works with sanghas and teachers as well. But there's always going to be something you have to figure out that you're going to stick to, uh, even though it falls short of an ideal. And you, in our life, we really have to come to terms with the fact that we're going to have this and we're not going to have that. That every choice we make in our life is going to be closing the door on some other opportunity. And so we have to face the limitation of every decision we make. But fundamentally, we need each other. And that will take many forms. It will be personal relationships, social relationships, group relationships, professional relationships. And we will rarely get the perfect trifecta of having all these things fulfilled in line all at the same time. It would be great if we could, but it just doesn't happen that often. You know, to just be able to line up the personal relationships, our professional lives, our relationship with practice and a teacher, and have just all of them working perfectly. Well, it doesn't happen most of the time. For most of us, if we get two out of three, we're really lucky. And if we get one out of three, we're not doing bad, right? And what we have to really see is how some needs will have to in one sphere we'll have to compensate for, for lacks in, a, in another. But we can't say those needs aren't real or I will transcend them. I can't say, well, I'll get satisfaction in my job so it doesn't matter that my home life is miserable you know, or something like that. We really have to try to figure out and acknowledge the full spectrum of our need. See, rather than our practice making us more autonomous, our practice makes us more vulnerable. You know, it opens us up more and more to the fact that we are connected to one another and that that connection is a connection to people who are at least as imperfect as we are. Yeah? Sometimes even more so. Right? So we have to be dependent intelligently. Unintelligent dependency is a life of complaint. Right? It's a life of endlessly being angry at the other people for falling short of what you need. They can fall short by just not being there, by being imperfect, by being difficult, by getting old, you know. But unintelligent dependency is basically a life of anger. And so that's one of the things I think we can watch and try to practice with. How much of our life is taken up with angry complaint? 
about how we're being let down, how we're not being given what we need. Right? Intelligent dependency doesn't try to repudiate the need, doesn't try to deny the frustration, but really moves in the direct direction of acceptance of the whole package. Like Joko says, we have to always watch the gap between our expectation and the reality. But when we wear things down, when we use life as a grindstone, we're not trying to grind our needs down to zero. Right? That's the danger of that image. We're not just uh, grinding and grinding and grinding until there's nothing left. We're letting things wear down to the point that they we're able to just say, this is it. This is me. This is you. We're in this together. That may be the fundamental lesson of, of practice. We're in this together. 